everybody, welcome back to Funny Book Forensics. This is Dan. This is Greg. And we are here today to talk about Green Lantern, number 59, from March of 1968. Uh, written by John Broom and art by Gil Kane. It is amazing if, art. <laughs> it is amazing art. I think uh, on the cover, Guy Gardner has like a 10-pack. And yeah. <laughs> very unusual for the Silver Age. And, and one of the neat things about these, these Silver Age comics is... A couple of these heroes in the Silver Age that DC pressed a lot came out of the book Showcase Comics. Comics ceased, or superhero comics basically ceased to exist in the 50s. We got to keep Wonder Woman, Batman, and Superman, which shouldn't surprise anyone. Classics, you can't you can't not have them. I mean, they're they're like the 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 they're it's like, you know, that's bread and butter. But there were also a lot of heroes from the Golden Age that had gone away. We ju- they just were they just quit publishing them uh, due to a guy named Frederick Wortham, who I'm sure we'll have a huge discussion about some other time. Said I'd be sad if we didn't. <laughs> I'd be sad if we didn't too. Seduction of the Innocent was definitely a fraud, as it's been <laughs> exposed to be. However, without getting too far into that, DC Comics wanted to bring back some superheroes to accompany some other ones from the Golden Age. And there were some classics in the Golden Age, like Hawkman and The Flash and, and The Green Lantern. And so The Flash was actually the first one they brought back and showcased, introduced The Flash, and The Flash got his own comic. And the second major Golden Age hero they introduced was The Green Lantern, drawn by Gil Kane. And Gil Kane had done a lot of work for DC, especially in All-Star Western, which is ironic because All-Star Western actually replaced All-Star Comics at the end of the superhero era. So Gil Kane drew some of the issues that kicked superheroes out of the DC comic line. And, and now he's drawing one of their preeminent superheroes. How much Gil Kane art have you gotten a chance to look at over time, Greg? Uh, you know, oddly enough, because I did have some of those, uh, I was, I, I've been actually during this, my, this downtime, I've been going through my comic book boxes and I do have some of those, those classic Western comics. <laughs> so that is, a, that is kind of funny that you ask and, um, going through all my strange and weird, weird comics that I've inherited over time. Um, but, uh, and some of these, some of these books that we're probably going to discuss, uh, his art is amazing and it's something that I, I wish I had a lot more of because it's just, it's got that, that look and we'll discuss a lot more of it as we go through this issue. But um, just the way that the, the, the color, the, the way that it's, it's toned. I'm not, and I'm not an art, uh, an art student in any way, shape or form, but I'm somebody that can appreciate art. And I, I like the shading of different things and it's, it's amazing what he was doing with the, uh, with the tools of the time. <laughs> I think one of the amazing things about Gil Kane, when you look at him is his art looks much more like the Western crime and horror comics that came out of the fifties, especially from EC. And then some mm-hmm. of the other things DC was doing where the faces are very realistic. And yes, we'll, we'll actually see that later too in green lantern. There's a transition from Gil Kane at, at some point to Neil Adams. And it was a very easy transition a lot of transitions from the Silver Age to the Bronze Age were, were rough transitions because the art in the Bronze Age was just, quite frankly, so much better. But I can't say that about uh, the Green Lantern comics. Gil Kane's art can be, stand right next to Neil Adams' art, and both are amazing. So yeah. it was a very interesting book in the sense that when one artist went to another, you had similar quality and just the way that they're like the between the quality as well as just that that detail, it was almost like uh, they had just such a. I, I feel like Kane had a, as you mentioned with the the design of the costume a bit uh, earlier. It doesn't feel like the kind of costuming that you would see in an era in this era for the green, you know, the Green Lantern's costume looks much more like something you would see. Uh, 15 to 20 years later for other superheroes. Yeah. And, and even then the musculatures and the facial expressions and the very distinct faces, this was not what DC did. Uh, Some of the jokes in some of the Superman books 
And I don't want to disparage some of my favorite artists, so I'll hold off on that today. (laughs) Right. But but what we have are faces that are distinct and unique on each of these characters. You don't have to look for a hair color or a costume color to distinguish the character. They're easily identifiable as soon as you look at them and pick them up inside of the comic. What we can uh, see here, though, too, looking at this, when you're looking at these, is Gil Kane had some work to do, Greg, because... Maybe John Broom's storytelling didn't hold up to this beautiful art. Uh, you know, I and that sometimes is as a, as a writer myself. Uh, sometimes we, as writers, uh, we rely a lot on the artist to be able to pull through uh, where we might lack in our storytelling. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. It's something that, like, sometimes we. I, I do it. Sometimes I do this with the artists that I work with on my books. Um, that I will rely on them to be able to help that story along. If my dialogue or my, my technique is a little lacking on a, on a page or a panel or a few, but uh, there there's definitely sometimes where the art takes over. And as we see in movies where it shoot, where an actor can chew the scenery, then artists can definitely make a book so much more enjoyable. And this is a case where I see, like I, I read this like four times today. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's because it's beautiful. It is. Yeah. So beautiful. It's an absolutely beautiful piece of art. And I think, you know, Ryan Reynolds probably empathizes with you, right? Bad script, beautiful backgrounds. So. Or beautiful actor. I don't know. <laughs> or, or that too. He's and, just, and I got to give Sid Green. Green some credit too for the inking uh, yeah. on Gil Kane. Uh, over Gil Kane's pencils because it, the inking really builds a lot of the shading you're talking about. Yeah. Even just on the very first page of the comic, the the announcer's eyebrows, right? You got Hal Jordan and be, like, basically in a suit looking like he's a news announcer. Yeah. Uh, and his eyebrows, I mean, they're just amazing. They're, they're telling the whole story. He looks shocked. Like there's another Green Lantern out there. Who is it? What? What's going on? Yeah, it's just so good. It's just building interest in the story. Well, let me not get too far into the weeds here on on Funny Book Forensics. Not that we would ever do that as we dissect comics. That's That's kind of the point. When we're looking at this cover, though, let's start out with the cover. So we got the classic uh, Green Lantern logo. Mm -hmm. Red letters with flames on top, not green letters, because there's a giant green background. Exactly. And who is standing in the front? Who's standing in the front? Who but Guy Gardner? Yeah, but we don't know his name yet. We've just got... Oh, I'm sorry. Who? Oh, I'm sorry. I was... I don't know his name yet. I mean, we just know him from history. We have a a redheaded guy. Yeah. uh, Holding up the lantern, telling Hal Jordan to get off his earth. Little bait and switch here on on the cover to what's inside the comic. Yeah, yeah. There's only room for him. And really, if you look at the Guy Gardner character over time, you know, by the time we get into the Bwahaha Justice League and later on uh, the Chicken version <laughs> of uh, the Chicken version of Gardner later, very much they, they took this cover and they used it often. And they used Guy Gardner sort of as a bully. Uh, oh. And well, we'll get to that. Yeah, no, I mean, th- you're dead on. I mean, like he, th- when I that I think that's why when I when I saw this, regardless if I knew who he was or not, you see this stance, you see this posturing and it's like instantaneously. That's the dude we just watched fight Blue Beetle. And he was inept in that fight, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he just looks like he just looks like the kind of jerk. That would tell another Green Lantern, there's not enough room for two Green Lanterns. Just a jerk. And Look eventually, he got to do that. So let's dig into this thing. So <laughs> we're right. getting into the into the pages. And let's kind of get started. So, you know, basically, without running through the entire comic for you, but we've got Hal on the front page telling us, you know, that he found out about Earth's other Green Lantern. And they, they sort of set up a... An interesting way to introduce this story. Uh, Hal's just hanging out on Oa just for fun. <laughs> just for funsies. He's just hanging just out talking, there. Talking <laughs> to the Guardians of the Universe. and Yeah. Uh, like one does. 
Like one does. I mean, would you say uh, a little contrived in the start of the story? They're just just chilling out talking. There, it's a it's a mean to an ends. He's on Oa. He's he's got a he he's talking to them. He's like, oh, what's what what is this machine? <laughs> you know, he's got questions. Oh, hey, Greg, what machine did you create today? This machine? Oh, it's just a machine that you know stores data. Stores you know. data like what kind? Oh, uh, you know, brain data for, you know, brain data. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I've always wondered what Abe and Sir was thinking when he died so I could become the Green Lantern. Oh, well, <laughs> very good that you asked. <laughs> are we going to do and, this? <laughs> we are going to do this. Interestingly <laughs> enough. Hey, it's the Silver Age. It is campy and the storytelling is really campy. Uh, and in- instantly, thank God Gil Kane is around for this issue because we get probably the 900th retelling in 59 issues of the Green Lantern origin. Mm-hmm. So for those of you that don't know, a dying alien is being chased. They build this story throughout Green Lantern, so I won't spoil it for all of time. He crashes on Earth and he's about to die and he has his power ring and he sends it out to find the next green lantern and the man without fear but yes, he did not man. find matt murdock no no he 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 found he found hal jordan hal jordan who was a test pilot and yeah, hal jordan pilot. is flying a test pilot plane on the ground well that that's how they take off dan well it's not or really a crash. plane it's like a it, simulator it's right? like a wingless body (laughs) and so the the ring takes him to see abe and sir he gets his ring ta-da we find out everything from abe and sir's perspective and then the green lantern hal jordan goes out and starts using his ring for the first time and later on in green lantern emerald dawn he'll run into stop signs i mean into a yield signs. sorry yes they're yellow Right. Yes. And he'll fall to the ground. I don't think a stop sign would actually hurt him. No. However, in this case, this is just a means to an end to get into the actual story. And we find out that there was another Green Lantern out there. There was another man without fear. There's a lot of men without fear running around comics in the 60s. Oh, my gosh. It's amazing. I love this trope. You love this trope? Well, yes. I mean, it is a trope, right? I mean, yes. Daredevil is real. It's true. What if we had a Daredevil Green Lantern crossover? That would be amazing, and I would actually buy it. I, I with with what with Gil Kane on art. Oh man, think about that! Gil Kane on art, and uh, which 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 Daredevil writer do you want on the on the writing side? We'll have to think about that. Okay, I think I'm going to the '80s for that one. I think mm-hmm. Frank Miller and Gil Kane. Oof. Oof. That could get weird, but I like it. I like what I, you're doing. I don't think you'd put it down. I, I think I Matt probably, Wagner would be offended, but I, I think uh, you wouldn't put that down. I wouldn't. Okay. So now Got we get track. into Guy Gardner, and this is amazing. Uh, Coast City is where Green Lantern lives. Coast City is basically either San Francisco or Los Angeles, depending on who you ask. Mm-hmm. It is definitely in California and it is definitely on the West Coast. On the coast. Hence the name Coast City. It's on far away. away from all the other superheroes. Yes. Away. And unfortunately for Guy Gardner, he was the other man without fear, but he lived on the East Coast. Away from everything else. And so the ring didn't go to him because the desert was closer to Hal Jordan. So Too basically Guy Gardner loses out because he's not close enough. It's just too far away. And so we find out that what would happen if he actually got the ring. Oh my gosh, topsy-turvy world. It would be a topsy-turvy world. Well, we find out that Guy Gardner is a shredded gym teacher. He is is using rings. He is amazing. And Hal Jordan, over several pages of beautiful Gil Kane art, watches... Mm -hmm. Guy Gardner assume his career. And it is amazing. 
and he is taking down all the great Green Lantern villains like yes. Sonar and Dr. Polaris. I like how he's not he's not sure of himself and the ring and his power, the way he can use the power. So he's like, I'm just going to rely on my brute strength. Yes. And beat him up with my fisty hands. And that Crunchy was face. And, and it's funny, too, that that like, you know, like he gets beat up by Blue Beetle later. Right. Yeah. Because this guy is supposed to be, you know, physically fit. Of course, we'll talk later. He does get hit by a bus down the road so i mean that could have <laughs> done something to his his fitness it's I, yeah I'm, I'm gonna say if you get hit by a bus and you're not ready for it you don't have your, don't have your ring ready you're gonna have a problem yeah well he never actually gets the ring which is well i'm spoiling the end of the story right yeah, yeah, so yeah. now he's 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 here and eventually we have a montage page, right? Where he defeats Sonar, the shark, Black Hand, Dr. Yes. Polaris, and of course, Sinestro, the evil renegade Green Lantern. Yes. And now he's flying home. And Hal notes, hey, he's going off course here. What's what's going on? Why isn't he going the way I go home? Oh. Uh-oh. Sounds like another trope. Yep. He got he got a call to something else, you know. He's going to check it out, and he sees orange and blue robots fighting. Oh man, orange and blue robots! He's got to check that out. And 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 what are they fighting about? They're just fighting. Well, they're fighting, but hang on, there's something really important before we continue this fight. Okay, there is a house ad for a brand new character. It's going to appear in Showcase Comics. Drawn by Steve Ditko. What? Oh, man. Awesome. And Steve Ditko, of course, drew. Dun, dun, dun. Wait. Oh, that's you're further down than I am in the. Talking about the creeper. The creeper. Well, he drew the creeper, but I he drew Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. And of oh. course, he drew the Silver Age Blue Beetle. And we were talking yes. about that last. Week. Oh, yes, yes. Who so just noting that there, so we're noting our time frame here, the creeper showing up in 1968. We just want to note timestamp that in the podcast for you, because we will be talking about that later uh, yes. down the road. So just keep in mind, uh, Ditko worked for Charlton in 67, and here he is doing some freelance work for DC, trying to promote another hero here in 1968. And that becomes very interesting and there's some more steve ditko fun time we'll have later but for now let's get back to gil kane's beautiful art and guy gardner trying to figure out what's going on with these robots who are attacking each other why are they fighting well one is blue and one is orange that makes sense i get it i get it like remember that really great Star Trek episode where some people were painted white and yes. one side and black on one side and then uh, the other were... ones were reverse of that? Yes. And remember yes. how it really drove home the message of racism in yes. the world? Yes. Well well, this comic really drives home the message of racism in the world by having the robots fight each other that are different colors, right? Yes. Yes. I notice how you're not biting on any of this. So, no. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, I, I totally understand what you, I, I get, I get, I get the, I get the crux of the, the, I get the crux of the, the argument of the comic or where, where they, what they're putting out there it, in a time frame in which they couldn't um, put this kind of thing into, into anything else because it was, it was definitely at a different time in the world. And they had to put it into a, a, a blue and an orange robot in space. Sure. And Being, and a nice redheaded man to go take care of it. Yes. Kidding. Because because and and they have to be they have to be children who never get old because who else would fight over something so silly as this kind of concept. But children minded people. Child. And that's what we find out. It, it, they are children who never get old on a planet because all of the people with sense have died off. And so they're fighting over their blue and orange camp. And, and eventually Guy creates a nice green robot to bring the blue and orange kids together. Yes. And, and, and I do. I, 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 
it is it, it is interesting how they had to there in order to show certain things in a time frame to to make make something that was so so much a problem in society uh, uh, a something that could be discussed <laughs> it's it's frustrating i guess in 2020 to be like wow this is how 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 crayola had to be but i guess a different time different different way of communication different way of getting an argument across that this is this is this is the thing that you have to well and i and i have some theories on this too and why they approached it um one you know is the editor mm-hmm. um so we can you can play around with that but the besides editing there's some interesting facts we'll share at the end of this comic too that i think will enlighten a little bit of that okay and and we'll bridge into that too uh in a next episode too we're gonna have a companion episode of this one folks so we won't be hanging on this i do find Uh, it interesting that they that 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 the hero is a ginger and gingers are soulless so i mean me a ginger myself when i was younger I grew out of that phase. I have a soul again, but I mean, it's, you know, but I still don't have a soul. So you don't. (laughs) And yeah, I, well, and I think, you know, the idea here too, though, is they, they make sure that he doesn't have a soul because as soon as he saves uh, the world from the evils of the blue and orange war by making a green robot, because blue and orange make kind of green. The, he saves the, the children. Uh, yeah, he, sa- he saves the children. And now he pledges to combat all of the evil with the Green Lantern's might. And then he comes down with yellow fever. I mean, oh, man. yellow yeah. plague. Yellow plague. I do find that the, the like the art, the like this, as he's, you know, they show off these robots and the, the spaceships and stuff like that. These are fantastic. And it's like, he makes the hand that comes up and grabs these things. It's like the detail. I apologize. You can hear my, my dogs in the, the dogs have joined the podcast. Yeah. The dogs so. have joined the podcast. I tried to mute this, but they won't stop. Somebody's probably at the door. Why don't you just hit mute? Yeah. Like when you mute them, it is amazing. So you were saying about the, you were saying about the, the way the art and this is on the, you asked me a question after I go on mute. <laughs> yeah. No, no I, I, I really like the detail to it. I think the art is, is really neat looking. The, uh, the, um, the, the shapes used and whatnot. Like I like the, uh, on the panels and stuff like that with the squiggles and stuff to, to show the um, disruption of the submarine in the water and whatnot. How would you contrast? So we've got it's it's a page twenty one in the book, folks. If you if you want to look this book, if you're up. following along, yeah. And Guy Gardner, of course, we talked about last week at the end of the book the the notion that in the last episode in two forty seven of Guy Gardner's failure, right, and and how he looks like he's failed. How would you compare the Gil Kane art here to the Trevor Von Eden art when? guy realizes that he has yellow this yellow plague and he's collapsing and he's desperate for a replacement green lantern uh okay so this this art is definitely different um i don't know uh so in the in the previous episodes uh in the previous episodes issue the art was very dramatic in this episode it's in this issue this art is very i i guess there's a weird connection if that makes sense because it looks very i don't want to say it's passively normal does that make sense like when you yeah. feel sick when you feel ill you 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 know you're getting clammy. You know that you're probably changing the skin color, a tone, if you will. You're either devoid of color in your face or whatever, or you're showing off some some other color. Uh, either you know you're you're hot, you're running hot, or you're running cold. He's obviously he's obviously feverish of some sort, and the um, the 
the yellow sickness is, 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 is changing his skin color and then making him sweat. So he's obviously ill. And I can, I can empathize with that as, you know, like, Oh man, I've been sick before. Um, and then his, the way that his body is crumbling and whatnot on the page and, and showing that weakness and everything, it, it is a different type of art style and the framing of the body uh, and the way that this hero of the, this, this character uh, characterization of Guy Gardner is because in the previous issue that we read, he is a, he's a broken man, right? He's a broken man who has, done something that he thought was going to regain him some sort of uh, inner strength and show everyone else that he, you know, why he was doing something, why he was, why he's fighting with blue beetle. And, and in this, he's defeated, he's defeated in a different way. He's like, I did this great thing. I brought this, this group of people back together. I saved this, 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 uh, this planet of, of people. And now I'm paying the ultimate price because I'm so sick. I'm probably going to die. And, and he's just, he's, he's decimated. One of the really neat things I found too, in addition to the art was the coloring on this page and where we had in the last issue, you had sort of a zoom out effect, right? And then Mm -hmm. a focus of him sitting in the room alone. Mm Mm-hmm. And in this case, you have a zoom in effect and we keep zooming in toward his face in a sense. So he sees himself in the mirror and it's the coloring in the background that really drives this home Uh, Mm. for those for those of you that haven't read Watchmen. The coloring was was designed to be different. It was a lot of yellows and uh, and purples and using a lot of that color spectrum. Mm-hmm. And we have the stark difference here. He's Green Lantern. He has his green power battery. But in the background, as he gets sick, you'll notice the background starts to become purple and then dark with dark lines and then black to indicate yeah. that something is different. Like there's something wrong in that background. This isn't normal. And so he moves to that background and the yellow uh, face based off contrasted off the black background when he tells the ring to search for a deserving uh, lantern to come back, a deserving person to come take the mantle is, has a lot of contrast there. And so the red hair, the yellow face, and then the mask, all very indicating that something is really wrong there. I really love the coloring they do on this page. And of course the ring seeks out and finds Hal Jordan and he becomes the, the new green lantern of earth. So The moral of the story here is even if Guy Gardner had gotten the mantle in this imaginary story, Hal Jordan still would have become the Green Lantern, right? Yep. It was always meant to be. It's always meant to be. And so what happens, though? What is the great honorable Hal Jordan go do after he finds out what would have happened in this imaginary tale? He goes and he seeks him out. He he goes and he's like, no, you know what? Can't let it rest. I got to go find this guy. Got to go find out who he is. Who's this stand-up character who who I could have shared this mantle with? And the best way to meet a guy with 10 ab muscles is to join his gym. That's right. Go to the gym. Find him there. Work out, buddies. They become workout buddies for a couple weeks and then they part on great terms. Uh, completely opposite of the actual message on the cover. Yes, where they're fighting and it's like done and it's over and it's almost like you feel like like you think Guy Gardner's going to like hit him with the ring, blast him with the lantern. I do really like how... I do really like... Oh, sorry, Greg. Yeah, (laughs) that's all right. Well, I was just going to say, I like on the last page, though, how they really did the opposite of what you were just saying. I hate that I talked over you there because you're saying you expect Guy Gardner to do something diabolical, uh, take his ring, hit him with it, use whatever. Yeah. And really what Kane's art does is he fades Gardner to the background. Mm-hmm. He brings Hal to the foreground, waving goodbye and, and Guy Gardner standing in the back, waving at him like he'll never appear in a story again. Yeah, just just gone. Like he was there for a moment. He did his he did his good deed. He made a green robot. He saved 
some planet of children and and uh now he's you know he's just gonna go work out keep that 10 pack going and that's a by definition throwaway character right kind of sort of i mean it's it, it feels like that that's definitely for sure what you what you're left with that this guy gardener guy is is gone quesara sera so from a from a writer's perspective, like mm-hmm. if if you were to, you were to take a stab at this, somebody came to you and said, "Hey, Greg, I need you to write a fill-in story because this this is what this sort of feels like, right? A fill-in yeah. story. Uh, we're going to interrupt the space adventures for a minute. Uh, we're going to introduce a new character, uh-huh. and you get twenty pages with this character, twenty three pages, and then you're going to write him out. Yeah. What How am I would you do? approach something like that? Um. I, if I, if I was going to do this and I want to make it so that if, if he was going to def if for me in my, the way that I do things, uh, and if I'm writing a character that is going to be throwaway or at least to my mind, a throwaway character, I want them to be likable to a, to an, a point where you connect enough with them, but I want them to have enough I want them to be likable enough and enough. I, I want to say like uh, uh, enough agency in the story that you're like, okay, cool. I can follow along with this. And, and, and they're, they're somebody I connect with and they can, they can tell the story. Right. But I also want them to be not likable enough. They, I want them to do something that you're like, Oh, Hey, this person isn't exactly who I want. So, I, I feel like if I was telling this story, I would have had something happen where you end up with the end or something similar to what you saw on that cover so that the reader doesn't like this guy Gardner character. And you can definitely end on the end of the story with him never coming back again. But I think what they, you know, and and I think that that would have that would have encapsulated the whole story, giving you a twenty-page story. Boom, gone, out, done. No more. Don't have to worry about it. Whatever you know, like they they meet up at the gym, and he ends up being like a, um, you know, he's great when he's wearing the suit, but when he's just a normal dude, he's just kind of like you know the dude you don't want to hang out with, that kind of guy. You know, he's a little yeah. rough around the edges whatever but he comes off just so just it's like he's not that so like you you've got you you don't get any of that and i think that would have been a little bit easier to 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 just brush off and uh what you what you what you're left with is a is somebody that can come back at another point which is great and and we we see that we saw that in the previous issue that we read which was a a far a far later a far later issue and, and we've seen the Guy Gardner character in other issues as well. I think it really was intended to be a one-off issue, though, the way it ends. Uh-huh. I mean, it's possible to bring the character back, but the character's in the background. I also think one of the problems with the, the Broom script here is that it. I don't care about mm-hmm. Guy Gardner in the story in the mm-hmm. sense that there's no conflict, which was your point, right? There, there's yeah. no inherent conflict in the story we get basically how watching a, a television, yeah. right? A giant space television. And he's watching this adventure and he's commenting in the background. Oh, Hey, he's doing what I did. And then he goes and solves this problem and then he dies. And I, I, as the reader from a scripting standpoint, even though we were talking about how great the art is, mm-hmm. I don't care that guy Gardner dies in the story. Yeah. I, I think so. And this is, it's so, it's so easy to be the, 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 the people sitting back, um, you know, uh, armchair quarterbacking on a Sunday, if you want a football reference or, you know, uh, you know, team managing, watching a baseball game, whatever, uh, to, to, to throw your sports metaphors out there. But from a writer's perspective, it's really easy to sit back and say, I could tell this story better from whatever whatever perspective if you want to change the narrative just a little bit uh here and there by adding uh 
oh, he sided with this, uh, or he gave up a little bit of this. We don't know exactly what, what was it. Yes, he he needed to get back to OA to to get the you know to recharge his battery, and he was missing the time. But we don't have a a, a metered time measure. You know, we don't. So we don't know exactly. Like, okay, he's he spent too much time. That's all we know. What kind of other sacrifices did he did he do? outside of spending the time was there was there other things in there that either made him more likable or less likable and that would have i think that would have driven a lot more of that story and that would have given that would have given hal jordan more to watch on the tv man you know if i was hal jordan i'd be kind of upset he just right. got to see he got to see he got to see the sunday night movie and really he what he wanted was the four part miniseries looking at Guy Gardner doing something, I think you were alluding to this, something completely out of character to what Hal Jordan would do. Yeah, because he got to see himself doing his own thing. And then and then that's like, oh, wait, oh, if I did that, I would die. That's not cool. I don't want to die, you know? <laughs> if I'd flown back to Earth the wrong way, I would have died. Oh, no, right? Yeah, and and that's what is so, and so that's the moral of the story is, oh, hey, if you fly back to Earth the wrong way and you go do a nice thing, you're going to die. Maybe that's the whole entire thing about Guy Gardner is, all in all, he comes across as a, as, as a thuggish tough, but he's really got a nice heart and he goes and does a good thing. And then he pays the ultimate price. Oh man, that, uh, that see now that's the deep cut right there. Maybe that's what we should be left with. Well, and Guy Gardner <laughs> didn't get his personality change until his reboot post crisis. Yeah. So this guy Gardner is just a, a nice, happy fellow that doesn't get the ring and he doesn't know. And he's totally okay with that. So yeah. he's, he's just fine. He's doing, he's, he, he, the only rings he cares about are the two that he's holding in his hands, working out those abs, getting that 10 pack. I think there is an important part of this though, because you're saying it is easy for us to go back in time and and criticize a writer. And of course it's, it's the silver age. (laughs) However, there were some problems going on with the, the Green Lantern series by this point at issue 59. Okay. So we're looking at Superman titles selling, you know, between 500,000 and a million books. Wow. That's tremendous for that time frame. I mean, I, <laughs> it's tremendous for any time frame, any especially time frame. when you consider a book that launches now, that's not one of the mainline books. And then we'll kind of talk about that for a second mm-hmm. is happy to sell 40,000 copies. Right. Right. So it, it is an amazing feat. I wanted to put that in perspective because when I spit this next number out, it seems a little crazy. There's two awesome things going on on the last page there. Number one, it says see Green Lantern on your local CBS TV station every Saturday morning. Right. I was going to note that because that's pretty cool. It's it's becoming a cartoon. People are going to watch that. That is awesome. That's a big up plus. Have you seen those cartoons? I've seen one or two. I might have them on on the, uh, the VHS. They were from the Filmation studio. Uh-huh. They are not good. I don't doubt that they're not. <laughs> Filmation, of course, is famous for He-Man. Yes. And really cheap art. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's in the time frame, that's what we were given. But really bad, like repeating backgrounds, badly oh, yeah. drawn figures, not well rendered. So you're getting the interesting thing here in contrast. And and the reason I pointed out, we're getting this beautiful Gil Kane art in the book. Mm -hmm. You would expect if you are 11 reading this comic book, you're going to turn on your CBS local station and you're going to get Gil Kane Green Lantern. Right. And you're not. Filmation. (laughs) Yes. Maybe if you remind me, I'll throw in the show notes of Filmation. Uh, version of the Green Lantern. Don't let me forget to do that, so you can okay. see the stark contrast between the two. You should. We also get great. the. We also get the awesome annual statement of ownership, though. Okay. Uh, Tell me more about that. In, well, back in in the past, when comics were published, they had to do a statement of ownership to get preferred mailing rates, yeah. and so you got a breakdown of comic sales. And you got a total com- number of copies printed at the press. You got sales through dealers and vendors. So how many of those comics were sent to dealers and vendors? And then how many of them were mail order subscriptions? And then they gave you what looked like a total s- circulation. 
So mentioning the Green Lantern book was, was struggling a little bit. There are a couple of important things to look at when you're looking at these sales numbers. Okay. Uh, number one, we've got mail order subscriptions. Yes. And in the preceding 12 months, they reported an average of 2,700 subscriptions. Mm-hmm. However, by issue 59, or maybe not issue 59, but the single issue nearest to the filing date here. So this yeah. is published in issue 59. They were down to 1,500 mail order subscriptions. Oof. So the mail order subscriptions had cut in half. Dang. Now your sales through newsstand and vendors had actually gone up. But remember, that's only when we're looking at this in a silver age perspective, a bronze age perspective, and even into the eighties, what happened is vendors would buy these comics, but if they, this, what this doesn't report is how many of the comics were sent back to DC Uh, or that DC didn't pay for. So do you know how they did this in the silver age? No. How did they do it? Did they, did they, uh, I don't want to know. You're going to cry in a second. I I don't want to know because I've, I've had to deal with, I've had to deal with, with uh, like buybacks and returns and stuff like that myself. So they would get, so vendors would get refunded for the comics they didn't Mm -hmm. sell. And to make matters worse, they would tear the covers in half. Yes. (sighs) So there this were is, all these beautiful comics that could have been protected by their beautiful plastic sleeves and backing boards that were now torn in half. Still a standard practice in most comic shops, people. So if you this is this is this is legitimately why if you do not pick up your box from your local comic shop, they will one go out of business and two have to return the items that do not get sold to make up for the money that you didn't give so they could take that item and put it into the back issue boxes and return all the other stuff that's on the shelves. This is a terrible thing because those issues sometimes either don't get returned or just get torn in half like that. And if you're an independent comic writer, Greg, who ends up paying for those returns? You do because you don't see a, you don't see a dividend check at the end of the year or end of the quarter. And you're still not making money on a book that you wrote. I mean, not that this is, this is just, that's just what I hear. That's just what I hear. (laughs) So this, this is still an issue now. And, and especially in current times, make sure you're paying attention to your comic shops. Uh, We can't stress that enough and making sure you're buying those books. In fact, Mm -hmm. I have an order due to my shop, even though what I will say here though, is this issue, the numbers here highlight the fact that the Green Lantern book was, was losing popularity. Uh, especially when you're looking at those those yeah. numbers. So that that number is devastating just as a when once you point it out and you see that, oh, empathize. And so when you're thinking about this too, so me being critical of John Broom, it's mm-hmm. not necessarily that John Broom who had been a terrible writer through the entire run, but what was happening is sort of the space soap opera Green Lantern. Mm-hmm replaying those stories over and over again or bringing back the same five villains because you saw five yeah. in that flashback scene mm-hmm. wasn't necessarily selling books. Well, and you had to also remember too, you're doing a, he's doing a book that is a serialized comic that is coming out uh, like clockwork. Boom, 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 boom. Every so often. like These were eight say, issues a year. Yeah, so, but you're he's having to put out and write a script and put it out. It's got to go. It's got to get drawn and everything. And it's got to come out on a pretty regular basis. So there's no time to really to, it's not like somebody has the time to write a graphic novel. That's going to take like a year to write, you know, eight issues in a year is a pretty quick turnaround time. And you, you should also know too, that DC very much looked at their comics as one-off stories for the most part. Uh, mm-hmm. that kids would read and some of the famous DC editors uh, like Mort Weisinger would say, Hey, that was a su- Mort Weisinger was a Superman editor and Mort Weisinger would say, these kids will forget the comic in two years. Just go ahead and write the same story two years from now. And a lot of times you would end up getting, 
as a, as a kid, my a lot of times I would read a comic that I'd gotten from my dad or my uncle, and then read something that was just out on the spinner rack at Seven Eleven, and it was a very similar story. <laughs> yeah, and and so that was in even into the eighties. You get some of that, and. Of course, some of the best writers have suffered, too, from writing a book too long. I know with Broom on his 59th issue here in a row, right? Mm -hmm. Presumably. I know he started the series. I don't know if he wrote every. I'm not that big of a Green Lantern historian. I don't know if he wrote every issue. But you're looking at several issues here. And, you know, some of the best writers in in the world, uh, Chris Claremont with the X-Men, you know, eventually... Mm -hmm that didn't work for him after a while, right? You, you They had to go out and, and find different writers. The, the formula got a little weird or the stories got a little weird. And, and you know, walking through an arch to reset your universe, right? Yeah. Kind of things. So there is a thing called burnout. There is a thing called sometimes people just want something slightly different and you get it from a different writer. And some writers will deliberately like end a series after a certain point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's an expiration date. It's true. There is. <laughs> no, yes, I mean, Jeff Lemire is known for, for setting an expiration date for some of his stories, right? Yeah. And it's just like, I'm going to write 24 issues of this, and that's what you're getting. Yeah. Uh, and that's it. I'm not going to write anymore. Or hand it off to another writer so mm-hmm. they can continue on with the characters. So, yeah, I, I mean, it could be a little bit of burnout. It could be a little bit of the DC comics editorial. And it, it could just be a little bit of, of the fact that uh, green lantern flying into space after 60 issues, I uh, just started to wear on his audience. Yeah. Could be. Only the true fans will really know. Only the true fans will really know. Well, I love green lantern, but I wouldn't call myself a green lantern super fan though. I do have several hundred green lantern comics. So <laughs> I know you do. I wouldn't call myself a super fan, but I mean, honestly, too, this was fun for me because that I haven't read, actually read a lot of the Silver Age Green Lantern. I definitely picked up Green Lantern. I loved Green Lantern as a kid on the Super Friends. The Hanna-Barbera rendered Green Lantern. Oh, yeah. There was an episode where uh, Superman and Green Lantern were fighting and Green Lantern just uses his will to trap Superman in a green bubble. And I was like, <laughs> Superman can't get out of that. That That's amazing. It's it, it Green Lantern is a cool character in the, in the mindset of like, or in the, the idea of someone who can just create anything out of just the desire to create it with the power that they wield with their ring. It's just such a neat concept. And any kid that just wants to just create things and be creative that's like, just like what I could make. I, if I was Greenland and I could do something like that, that'd be so cool. And here you got a superhero that does that. Right. And, and it's so cool to see that in, in one superhero. And, you know, as we, as we move forward into, into uh, more, more Green Lanterns as we'll delve into later, uh, that is even cooler. Yeah. The idea that you can just create something with your will. Yes. And, and will something away. And, and of course, you know, right now in society, I think a lot of us would love to will a certain virus away, right? Be able just to have that power. Push it off. Boom. Into the sun. Burn it away. There you go. And the interesting Wait. thing, too, I know he in the issue, I believe it was this issue. It may be another one I read recently, but Hal refers to himself as the most powerful uh, man on Earth. And. Mm-hmm. The, the notion that, you know, this kind of thing, would somebody's willpower be stronger than somebody's muscles, right? Like, would Green Lantern, is the endless debate, right? Like, would Green Lantern, with his willpower, be stronger and more powerful than Superman? Huh. That, that is a good question. I'm pretty sure that we will we'll probably get some listener listener responses based on that question. And uh, I'm sure that's a great discussion we can continue to have uh, as we delve into more issues of varying comics and and come up with some more, uh, I would say, uh, evidence. Would you not? I I think we will. Uh, But for me, it it was the Green Lantern all the way. I was fascinated by Green Lantern as a kid, uh, even starting with the cartoons. And and that's why I ended up digging, even though it didn't end up being my first comics, I ended up digging into the lore 
yeah. loving it even back to the silver age and the the lensman books and so i'll give you all a couple of nuggets to dig into on your own if you want to dig into that Sweet. Uh, but i think in the now you know kind of looking at this uh the the idea of willpower and the idea of being able to see a virtual life we certainly aren't watching any netflix right now no not at all <laughs> not, no not at all and, and there's a certain desire to kind of idealize life right now and and so it's interesting to read this book because we're seeing quote unquote somebody looking at what an alternative idealized life would be and finding out that it's maybe not quite as good as they wanted it to be yeah, I mean it, it's it, it it's almost like he he got a snapshot of something and was like, oh, mm, can I rewind this and return it? <laughs> and he can't, right? He can't. So, He's stuck with it. I'll just befriend it, I guess. So he goes to the gym. Yeah, yeah I'll just we'll we'll be friends. Be right. So yeah. But yeah, I mean that pretty much wraps uh, issue fifty nine of the Green Lantern. Greg, you have any final thoughts on this one? No, I think it's definitely something. If you haven't read it, you should. You will drool over the the art that's that's in here. It is it is definitely a nice um, a nice thing to 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 let your eyeballs soak up. And like Dan was saying, it's so cool to see an artist come from the uh, the Western uh, comic background and move into the superhero uh, and and take that very detail oriented art style and pull it through and uh, that it's so rich. And the, the way that each one of these uh, facial expressions is done is just really nice. And like I was talking about with the, the robots and all the, the detail on the submarines and stuff like that, they, they definitely have that look of something that you really want to take a look at. That's why I read this thing like four times, uh, just to, to kind of just like read it and then to look at it and then just kind of just keep going back over it again because it was such a beautiful book. So if you like beautiful things, this is definitely something to do. And there. dig into more of that Gilcane artwork. And of course, Greg, you can get your 132 Roman soldiers for only $1.98 if you just write and rush your coupon today. So fun adventures yes. from the Silver Age. And... With that, uh, we will be moving on on the next episode to look at Green Lantern again. So we're going to look at Green Lantern 87. We're going to see the fate of Guy Gardner pre-crisis. <gasps> Continuing with more Green Lantern? Yes. Continuing with more Green Lantern and looking at these throwaway characters, like what happens with them. So, you know, th th that whole notion of how could Keith Giffen pick up this character give him a whole new personality and do whatever he wanted with him. Well, we're going to find out why. All right. Sounds awesome. Well, I'm excited and I can't wait till we do that. So with that, this is Dan. And this is Greg. And you've been listening to funny book forensics. Join us on the next episode and go ahead and do some pre-reading with us. Green Lantern 87. <laughs>